listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Do you ever feel like giving up? Life gets hard. Parenting gets hard. <laughs> Amen. Work is hard. This world is hard. And on top of just the normal challenges and, and things that are pushing against our endurance, we find ourselves in the middle of a global pandemic, which there seems to be an ebb and flow, and we're now in the sort of ebb of wondering whether, when things will ever return back to normal. And then on top of that, there's a, a national conversation and discussion about, about civil strife and racial tension and then eventual political turmoil that can all serve to gang up on us and want us to feel like we just want to give up. Do you ever feel like just giving up? I think the answer, if we're honest, for all of us is at times, yes. And the answer for us, encouragement for us, is found in our text this morning. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. If you have a Bible, open it. We're working through James. We're coming down to the end just this morning, next week, and then one final week. And then we will finish up our study through James. And we're going to look at today as James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote this letter for the church in the first century. We're going to look at his instructions about patience and endurance and steadfastness. Let me read the text and then pray for us. James writes, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us understand this text. And on this holiday weekend, this Independence Day weekend, I'm going to pray that God would help us be good citizens and that he would indeed bless our land. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for these that are gathered here physically this morning, those that are gathered over the internet via live stream and those that may eventually 
listen or watch this message in days to come. We thank you for the blessing of gathering as your people and singing and praying and preaching and listening to and responding to your word. Lord, by your spirit, work through your word to encourage your people. Father, on this Independence Day weekend, I thank you for our nation. Lord, we understand that we're in a time of tension and frustration in our land. I pray that you would guard our hearts, that you would give us a right and true and biblical perspective. In one sense, Lord, we, we don't want to be idolatrous, in an idolatrous way optimistic about our, our citizenship here in this land. But yet, Lord, I pray on the other end that you would guard us from a cynical pessimism about our country. Lord, we thank you for this land, as complicated as it has been and as, as, as certainly complicated as the past of this nation has been. That is the case for every country that has ever existed. And in your kindness, you have worked through this land, through this nation, in wonderful ways. And so, Lord, we, we know that there is much work to be done, but Lord, help us to see through a biblical lens that, yes, our citizenship ultimately is in heaven, but you have placed us here in this moment, in this time, in this nation. And as you call us, as you call all exiles, all of your people who are, in a sense, spiritual exiles in this land to do good to the city. So make us the best of citizens. Make us the most biblically minded of citizens. And we do pray that you would bless our land not so that it would terminate on the welfare or the wealth or the comfort of America, but that you would merely use this nation along with all the other means that you have to promote the glory of Christ. And Lord, give us that right biblical perspective. And we thank you for our nation. We thank you for those that are serving our nation now. For those in the military that are deployed. Lord, bless them, protect them. For those that are acting on behalf of our nation to uphold our laws. For our politicians, as imperfect as they are, they are ordained by you. And we pray, we pray for them. We pray that you'd give them wisdom. We pray that you, in our coming election, Lord, would cause people to come into office who would understand righteousness and goodness and that they would govern along those lines. And even for those that do not, that somehow, Lord, we take confidence and trust in the fact that you even use wicked men and women to bring about your ultimate purposes. So we rest in that, even as we labor for good and justice and mercy and compassion. Lord, we thank you for those protecting us. We thank you for doctors and nurses, for police officers and firefighters and emergency medical personnel who are under considerable strain just in normal circumstances and certainly in this environment even more so. We pray for grace to them. And Lord, we ask you now to help us understand this text. Lord, we need a word from the Lord. We're anxious and tired and if we're honest, many of us are, are tempted to just give up whatever that may look like in our lives. 
work in us the work of supernatural, spirit-fueled patience. And I pray all of this for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I've got four statements. You might call it an outline, but it's not really going to be an outline in the sense that we're going to go one, two, three, four. But I see four aspects of this text that I just want to make you aware of, in a sense to give you categories to put what we look at in this text as we work through it, to put these verses in the categories that I'm going to give you here. And there are four aspects, four categories of this text that I want us to be aware of in regards to this idea of the patience that I believe this text is commending us to. So four things. We see in this text the command to be patient. We see in this text the hard work of patience. We see in this text some reasons to be patient. And finally, we see some examples of patience. Now, not in that particular order. We're just going to interweave this as we go through verses 7 through 12. But I think we see the command to be patient, the hard work of patience, some reasons to be patient, and examples of patience. So we're just going to work our way through. And as you feel led for your memory or for your blessing or benefit, you can just kind of categorize different parts of these verses in those four headings. Verse 7, let's look at it again. This is again James writing to, he's switching his attention now, verses 1 through 6, if you remember, he was addressing really the only time in his letter the unbelieving wealthy people who were, were oppressing God's people and he was promising them woe for their sinful idolatry and trusting in their riches and the way that they were hoarding them up and using them against those who they were oppressing. It's really the only time in the letter where he addresses unbelievers. And now, in verse 7, he shifts his attention back to believers. And it's in light of, it's as a response to the woes that he, that he gave to the, the sinfully uh, wealthy landowners in verses 1 through 6. And now he says in verse 7, Be patient. There's a command. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. So here we see in verse 7, and this is just repeated throughout this passage here, this short paragraph, we see this command to be patient. And that command comes in light of the circumstances of the fact that these people that he's writing to in this early church scattered throughout the Roman Empire are, are in this situation where they are being oppressed by these unbelieving rich landowners who are taking advantage of them and not paying for their daily wages. And so he's writing now to exhort them to be patient. But what does patient mean here? It's not just, don't think of, when we see the word patient, we think of, uh, you know, just sort of not honking your horn in traffic, you know, that, that, and you know how there's kind of different types of honks that kind of denote sort of a, like, ha-ha, and like, beep, beep, and I say, oh, you, you're, the light's green, as opposed to just like standing on your horn, you know, where you're really trying to let the person know that you're angry with them. Don't think of it in sort of that mere sort of light sort of way. Patience here means much more than that. It means to endure, to hang in there, if we might put it in kind of modern lingo, to be steadfast, 
To not give up is what James is exhorting the people to do in light of their current circumstance. And this is a theme all throughout James. It's, a, it's one of the fruits that James is trying to show the people will be a, a fruit of genuine faith. Genuine faith, genuine saving faith will produce endurance and steadfastness in the people. And he's trying to remind them of that in the end of his letter here as they're facing difficulty in their life. Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He starts off his letter with this reminder, this exhortation that to hang in there. Verse 2, James 1. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, not if, but when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness or endurance or patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, the Lord knew what we needed when we started this book. I mean, we started James in November of 2019. Remember 2019? Remember that year? Back, way back when? And this verse is, is for these people who are enduring this persecution that we read about in James chapter 5, 1 through 6. But this is a verse that applies to all of God's people all of the time. When, not if, you meet all of the various trials that face all of God's people all throughout the centuries. And he's telling them, let this, whatever it is, whether it's rich landowners that aren't paying you wages or the coronavirus or whatever, let it, it's somehow brought about by God for his good and kind and gracious purposes and don't waste it, don't waste this trial, he's telling us in verse four and then picking up again in verse seven, let steadfastness, let it produce in you patience and let it have its full effect that would bring about your further sanctification so that you would be complete. That's the command here he's saying to us. And friends, isn't this a word that we need? James is saying to these people, life is hard, it is unjust, it's unfair. Hang in there, don't give up. Now, the reality is very few of us, if none of us, are probably not getting paid by some rich landowner that has sent us out to, to harvest his field and he's gypped us out of, ours, of, our, of our daily wages. That's probably not the circumstance that we're facing. But certainly all of us face situations in our life that are causing us to consider giving up. And the word to us today is do not give up. Not just don't honk your horn out of frustration. Don't give up. Until the coming of the Lord. What does this mean? Well, we could spend a lot of time just thinking about this. People are, have discussed this over the centuries. He's, he's giving them what seems to be a kind of patience. He's saying that, that until the coming of the Lord, and we're going to see it again in verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does it mean? Does it mean the eventual return of Christ? Does it mean possibly the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70? When is judgment coming? We're not sure. But there is this posture all throughout the New Testament that God, through his Holy Spirit and through the writers of the Bible, he uses 
the coming of the Lord as motivation to hang in there. And that has been the case since 2,000 years ago when the Bible was written. The point is, is that under God's kindness, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write the Bible, he uses the return of the Lord as a motivating factor for Christians to hang in there. And we know that Jesus has not come back since the time of this letter. And we know in our lifetime it hasn't come back. But we know, friends, in the grand spectrum of time, our 80 or 90 years is a tiny little drop in the bucket. And whether or not Jesus comes back in our lifetime or whether we go to meet him, we will see one day just how short our life is. Remember James chapter 4, our life is but a mist. And he's wanting us to lift up our eyes from this current circumstance and show us and remind us that ultimately what matters is standing before the Lord for eternity. And in light of that, he says, hang in there. Hang in there. And he gives us an example. He says, see the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. There's this example of a farmer who's not only an example, but is an example of hard work. And it's hard for us in our kind of modern society. Most of us aren't necessarily farmers. Maybe some of us grew up on a farm. But when he talks about these early or late rains... He's talking about the rains that would come in the Holy Lands in Palestine in the early fall, probably in October, and then the late rains that would come later in the spring. And the farmer was completely dependent on the rain. Now, as he was completely dependent on things that were outside of his control, he had to work really hard. And so patience is a work, which we're going to see in a second. It's a really hard work, but yet it's a work where we have to give up control. We are working hard, and we are waiting, and we see that clearly in this example of the farmer. And in a sense, the fight of sanctification for every Christian is like the life of a farmer. We plow the field, we do what we can, and we wait on the rain. And friends, let's admit that we in our modern technology comfort lives don't live like farmers of the first century. We, we want it now. We want it now. I mean, God forbid that our satellites have a second delay on them or our TVs don't turn on or our internet is remarkably slow. Remember back in the days when, when they first released the internet and there was that little screeching noise and you had to wait like an ungodly 30 seconds before you got online? Oh, friends, those terrible days. Friends, let's just... I'm being sarcastic, obviously, but what has this produced in us? It's produced in us a demand for immediacy, which is the exact opposite of the posture of the farmer, which James is commending us to. Most of us, rather than like this farmer in verse 7, we put a seed in the ground, we sprinkle some water on it, and Minutes later, we're shouting at the ground to bear fruit. If a farmer did that, if we were, if we were just driving through some field, if, a, if, you, if, you, if you were to go to my hometown, you fly into San Diego, it's one of the prettiest cities in the world, and then you get off the plane and you drive through the mountains, and then you drive down into the valley, so you go from one of the pre prettiest places in the world to dirt and coyotes and tumbleweeds. It's my hometown, it's where I'm from. 
And there's fields, there's just fields out there, lettuce fields, carrot fields, alfalfa fields. And if we were to drive into my hometown and pull off Interstate 8 and you saw a farmer putting seed in the ground and watering it and immediately shouting at the dirt to bear fruit, we would, we would take him to the local psychiatric ward. But that's how we expect the spiritual life to work. Verse 8, he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Here we see in verse 8, the hard work of patience. Now here's something fascinating. He says, midway through verse 8 there, he says, establish your hearts. You do it. He's, it's a command. It's an imperative. James is telling his listeners to do the work of establishing your hearts. But if we just did a kind of word search on this word establish and how it's used throughout 